You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. How much of my life has been spent in anticipation for a new Bond film? And the answer is literally since I was a small child, just regularly going, my dad going, new Bond films out this weekend. You want to go see it? Yeah, Dad, sure, I want to go see it. Mom, like, I'm not sure those movies are okay for a kid that young. He's like, oh, he'll be fine. And it continued on to my adult years where, well, even as a teenager, I read all of Ian Fleming's books. I read even all the John Gardner books, which was the second guy to pick up the mantle after Fleming died. I think there's been three or four others since then. And then now I've got, like, the big box set of all of them on Blu-ray. And, yeah, I was a big Bond fan for a very big, large part of my life. And Daniel Craig was different because with him, they basically created a little Bond bubble universe that was like, okay, this is like, I guess, a parallel world because nothing in it feels like the other Bond films, which are more goofy and loose. If anything, you might compare it a little bit to the very first Connery Bond, which had a darker tone, had the feeling like they were being very serious about everything. But the Craig films sort of remix all the things that have happened in the other Bond films. Like I was having an argument with someone recently. He's like, no, I think they're still in the same universe. I'm like, oh, his wife died twice with the same name? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he's ageless? Yeah. Like, you can go with the Time Lord argument if you want, you know, like him and Mary There's Poppins. that argument? Yeah. <laughs> and Blofeld, too, is an issue. Yeah, right? So you're like, it's clearly not the same universe as those other films. But No Time to Die is the final film in the series of Daniel Craig movies, and who knows what's going to happen next, but there's certainly been a lot of anticipation, because this movie almost even didn't happen, because Craig was got so beat up on the last film, he's like, I'm getting too old for this shit. But he did it anyway, and incidentally did get pretty beat up again, even hospitalized while making this one. Yeah. But here we go, the first Bond film to definitively go within its own little universe this is the last adventure of James Bond, or at least this particular James Bond, because this is an IP that will never die, and I'll never stop watching them. I don't know how about the rest of you guys feel, but joining me is Wright. Sulek. Wright Sulek. <laughs> Drew. Tinin. Drew. Tinin. <laughs> <laughs> and Mars. Heya! And I am Chris, of course. So, no time to die. No time but the present to review No Time to Die. All right, I'm done. I don't want to see <laughs> So I'll admit, I'm not even 10 minutes into this movie, and I'm like, shit, I really should have rewatched Spectre. Because you forget that this series is so much more continuous with its plot than the previous incarnations are. Yeah. And this right off the bat, I was like, wait, so was that character in the previous film? <laughs> I don't remember. It's been a while. I have not personally watched Spectre, so I was exceptionally lost most of the time with you guys i'm assuming you're a little bit more of a james bond fan and i was just excited to see daniel craig do something but <laughs> i'm not the 
biggest James Bond fan. And I went into this just like, ah, the hell with it. I like Skyfall a whole lot. And Quantum of Solace, uh, hey, and Casino Royale, I thought was pretty damn fun. And I like some of the, uh, well, actually just one <laughs> of the Pierce Brosnan ones. But I, yeah, I was a little lost. But I think with context clues, I'm like, okay, I'm assuming he knows her and he's loves her in the James Bond kind of way. The her in question be Leia Sadu, who returns as Madeline Swan, who was a love interest in the previous film. They first together here, they're together. He's like, I quit. I'm done being a secret agent. I hate it. Let's be together forever. I love you. But then shit goes down, stuff blows up. He's like, did you know? Did you let them know? He is not a trusting fellow, this Mr. Bond. And he's like, all right, well, I'm out of here. Never try to contact me again. It felt a little, you know, if somebody loves someone, quote, quote, it's a little extreme. So you go to finding out, yes, the details of him, like him having left. There's something called Project Heracles, which is a bioweapon with nanobots. In it. But, you know, it's an assassination weapon that targets a specific person or even worse, a specific family and would just kill them and leave anybody else alone and kill them quickly and horribly. But Bond is in Jamaica and he is just chilling when Felix Leiter, another returning character here in the series, played by Jeffrey Wright, shows up and he's like, oh, Bond's for fuck's sakes. What now? I don't do this anymore. And he gets talked into coming to help. And along the way, we encounter a series of... Uh, Bondian type characters, including some known characters like Naomi Harris as Eve Moneypenny, Ben Wyshaw as Q, Christoph Waltz returns in more or less a cameo as Blofeld because he got captured in the last film, Ralph Fiennes as M. Along the way, he gets help from a new agent, Anna D. Armas, who I am completely smitten with. And this is his second time working with her after Knives Out. But she plays Paloma, a CIA agent who helps out Bond. Anyway, what it comes down to is finally in the third act, we actually meet and see his entire face because he's a little bit in the very beginning. Rami Malek, as I don't even know how to say his name. I'll just say safe. Try, try to say it. Like, Please say it. Lucifer. Almost Lucifer. Yeah. Yeah. Almost Lucifer's Safin. And he has a uh, well, he's got a personal grudge against not Bond. Bond is just like an annoyance. What are you doing here? He doesn't like Spectre. And he's he wants to take out all of Spectre. And then, you know, I don't know, maybe the world, as Bond villains do. So Bond's got this one last mission to take on. How will it end? Who will survive? Well, the answers are actually a little uh, surprising, I guess. I just wish they had been executed a little bit better, so to speak. Yeah, I was really surprised that the Broccoli family actually okayed the ending of this movie. Yeah, I mean, like the last time he got happy, his wife was killed right after they got married. So he's know. not allowed to have any of that. No. He has to be the super spy who's able to put his life on the line and not have to worry about anybody else but himself. So if you give him something like romance, it just doesn't work. Yeah, he can't be the no. womanizer anymore, but he also can't be the happy family man. Yep. No, yeah, you like you see a very like damaged Daniel Craig, James Bond, and like all these series because this is like you were saying earlier. This is one story. These five movies, they all like kind of connect together. And going back to even to Vesper Lind, and I was like, wow, they're really bringing this back. And and I like that it does add to his character that you know this is why he has. You know, trouble trusting people. Also, he quits everything at the drop of a hat kind of thing. Like, found love, boom, done. And also, he hasn't learned yet. He's like, huh, this bites me in the ass. 
every single time. Why do I do it this way? But I like it that it um it seems like even like with the Pierce Brosnan one, like it kind of just it each of the people that play James Bond, it just kind of that's their own little bubble universe. Like it doesn't really connect with really any of the other ones because all the other like older ones are all like kind of mm-hmm. episodic like well that happened that happened that's right about it. there's like the tiniest but sometimes there'll be a connection between one film and the next but not a huge one sure. like i forget the one where he supposedly died but he got amnesia and like basically t- got sort of married to a local fisherwoman in this asian town and then was like oh shit i remember i'm a super spy i can't stay with a relationship i'm gone in the next movie yeah there's just the uh, the constants of mi6 specter and that type of thing that's just like this you know universal thing and then everything else is just kind of plug and play depending upon what they want to do with the story and the character at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if, if any of these last couple of movies, it, it makes me wonder, like, what is the MI6 retirement plan? <laughs> and what's the pension plan? Because I don't know if James Bond is stashing money. What do you guys think about the action in this one? Because it's definitely very traditional. It's what you expect, even down to bringing back the Aston Martin, which I was super excited for with all the gimmicks. The DB5 was great. So the opening sequence for me was a really... Something I was looking forward to because it's the one that they featured in the trailer so much. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if it's been talked about. Y'all know too much about it, but they actually used 8,000 gallons of Coke in that chase scene to make sure that all the vehicles didn't slide around. What? Jesus. Wait, like cocaine? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Coca-Cola. Oh, oh. To make sure that the motorcycle and the cars didn't actually slide around because the pavement and the stones in that town in Italy are too slick. And they had to find something that was biodegradable. Hmm. So 8,000 gallons of Coca-Cola for the Italy chase. Good Lord. That's a Bond film. I'll be damned. I can't believe they're not an official sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) No Time to Die brought to you by the delicious, refreshing taste of Coca-Cola. It's good in your mouth or under your tires. They'll tell like South America that it's Pepsi. (laughs) <laughs> it's RC Cola, actually. Coca Cola, you'll die soon enough from this. The, the regular stuff's not working. Someone go get us the Mexican Coke. It's better anyway. But I do think it's interesting that you ask about the action because I was thinking about this because when you start with Casino Royale and it kind of takes the action to a new level in the first scene and how physical it is, and it's kind of a response to the Bourne franchise, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to make mm-hmm. it more visceral, more action packed. But I was going back and thinking about old Bond films. And what crazy action scene do you really remember from a lot of the Bond scenes? I remember like the opening for A View to a Kill. I loved that where, you know, he, he goes into the iceberg yacht and makes out. That was that, that skiing <laughs> scene was great. But as far as like the action of Bond films, a lot of them don't stick out in my mind. And in this series, a lot of the action set pieces do. And this particular film, you can tell it's more age appropriate. It does seem like maybe Fukunaga is not the best action director and maybe it's kind of them trying to compensate for his ankle injury, but there's not a lot of like amazing action. In it. And I think it's, it, there's an amazing opening, but I think in most Bond films, you're not really there for the action. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Craig films really put cinematography and the look of it front and center in a way mm-hmm. that the previous films were more about, we need a giant skull island or something in terms of as much as the look went and, oh, then we should get a really wacky gadget here. I mean, more and more the Craig films tried to feel like, well, what if this happened in the real world? 
world? What if Bond really existed more so than the, right. the any of the previous ones did? And the action, I feel like in this one was actually a lot more restrained in some ways. There's a few real nice set piece moments, but a lot of it feels more typical of just any given action movie than specifically a Bond film. But the whole shootout sequence where he and Anna Darmond are like taking on just a giant area of like cops and Spectre people and everything. I thought that was great. And not just because I literally can watch Anna Diarmas do anything and I'm happy. <laughs> one thing that I thought that Fuganaga actually brought to it was actually that opening sequence where the one thing I noticed and I, I really did like a lot, even though, yeah, again, like you were saying, even uh, Drew, is that it's, a lot of the action was kind of restrained probably because he's an older man now and he's like, I can't jump everywhere. But the one thing that happened was that uh, there was an explosion and like for the first like couple of minutes the sound was uh all muffled because he was still like trying to recover from losing his hearing for a hot minute because he was an explosion just happened right in front of him and i thought that that's what he was trying to do throughout most of the film was kind of showing that he's getting older things are actually affecting him he's not invincible even though a lot of times he kind of is <laughs> and i i like that it made me feel like i was like kind of in the shoes a lot more with James Bond that I was kind of like feeling the punches a little bit harder than normal. Yeah, there was parts in Skyfall and Spectre where they haven't been shy about showing that his body's falling apart with the jokes about his bad knees and the scars that he's got on his body from fights and that type of thing. So they've definitely shown that he's a little bit more human and that he's, as getting older, he's kind of getting run down, as you said. But this film is notable in that it continues on in the way the other films have been very dramatic, much more so like any of the previous films. There's not much in the way of character drama. It's really just this set piece, then this set piece, then this set piece. And the Craig films are more like, okay, we're setting up these characters. We're giving them arcs. And this movie, having a sense of melancholy all the way through it, most certainly way over drags out these dramatic set pieces. There's long sequences of this film where nothing really notable or Bondian is happening. It's just kind of a character drama and not a wildly nuanced one. I think that's what's happening a little bit with this whole series is that the heartbreak of Bond is getting in the way of the villains in the film you know, where you're, you're kind of there's this build-up drama with a kind of a five-film story arc, but there's too much of a focus on Bond's relationships with women and instead of his connection to the villains. And there's still scenes with Blofeld and then with Rami Malek, too. They're good. And there's a little bit of a flirtation there, I guess, that's happening. But there's such a through line all the way through all the movies where it's just about him getting betrayed. And he's never really betrayed by the villains. He's betrayed by women all the time, which undermines the real conflict that should be the central conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like they're having their cake and eat it, too. It feels like it's like, no, we're all here for the, you know, the fun action and just like the quips, like I counted two quips in this movie yeah. and they were mind blowing. That's a good reference. <laughs> then they actually like, well, let's make this a little bit more realistic. Like, what if James Bond actually existed? And then he was actually going through these heartbreaks. Like, what would a super spy do if he actually found love and then something happened and then he ends up here and it's a little messy i i think like it works for casino royale if it was just one movie and that's all he did and then done and like cool all right got it and then everything else is like well now we're kind of like muddying up the the waters and the villains are not as strong even though i think harry arbardin was fantastic yeah one of the best ones so uh, agreed and here rami malek is just like um, he's going to call, right? Is he going to call for like the whole movie? You're like, we know Rami Malek's the villain. When is he actually going to freaking show up in this movie? And when he finally does, he's like, okay, I've been practicing. I am so ready. And he's like doing his like 
best Christopher Walken and View to a Kill, like very over the top type of performance. And Bond's like, I'm sorry, who are you again? <laughs> and so is the audience. We're like, I don't care about this guy. I mean, I would have if he was like consistently throughout the rest of the movie, but there's so much time with like the techno babble and the plot elements that are strung out much longer than they need to be. This movie's like two hours and 40 some minutes. That's a lot of that type of stuff when really we want to see this guy trying to directly kill Bond more and him laughing evilly. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of sucks because they're about after the, the same thing for like a hot minute. You're like, oh, well, why aren't we on the same page? And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, but I want to go a little further. I'm like, oh, god damn it. I'm like, why'd you have to do that? You were cool for like a second, and now you want to kill the whole world. And then it just kind of felt tacked on after a while. I'm just kind of like, why is he there? Yeah. He yeah. should be really, really important, but it's just, meh. It would have been interesting if he was such a huge power that he didn't even know who James Bond was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when Bond showed up, he'd be like, I have no clue who you are, and you're just interfering. I'm not planning all of this for you. <laughs> it's not always about you, James. James. Right. <laughs> I mean, usually it is, but not this time. <laughs> well, let's go to final thoughts. Drew, why don't you get us started? As far as like the scope and emotion of all the Bond films and the Daniel Craig era, if you want to call it that, this is the best one. And I, and I do want to mention just what Daniel Craig, all these five films, what they've done and the scope of it is really incredible. And the artistry that goes into these films is, I think, bigger than any Marvel movie. It just feels more romantic. It feels sexier. The way they shoot the entire world the way they still do things practical is just beautiful to watch. And so just on, on a sheer scale, I think this one is really incredible. And, and it reminds me of how gorgeous, you know, a James Bond film can be. And it's not just about James Bond. It's about the world of James Bond. And it doesn't feel like it's romanticizing being rich or the spy world. It just makes you kind of want to travel. It makes you like when I walked out of the theater, I just wanted to buy tickets to everywhere that they went. I wanted to go to Jamaica. I wanted to go to Italy, run an Aston Martin if I could afford it. It just makes me want to taste the world a little bit more. And I, th I love that about the James Bond series. And I think this, the Daniel Craig films have taken that to a, a much bigger level than all the other Bond films previously. So I think for just for that, it's a really incredible experience, especially in the theater. I'm going to give it seven out of 10 sex scenes. Right. <laughs> right. What about you? I liked it. I liked it okay. And I'm not a big James Bond fan. In the end, I kind of, I, I don't get it, but it's okay. I, I think that James Bond movies are honestly more, and this might be pissing off a lot of people. I don't care. This, I think James Bond movies are like for like smarter people who like action movies. And then like the Fast and the Furious movie are for like kind of dumber people who like action movies. What if you like anyway, both? <laughs> God, it can only help you at that point. The one thing that I wanted more of in this, um, which I got super excited when it was uh, first announced that wanted more Phoebe Waller-Bridge. You could hear some of her lines in the in the film that she wrote, and they're great. I just think that a lot of the, more of the, the melancholy and the drama just kind of like overshadowed some of it, but it was great peppered in uh, throughout the film. And I liked Daniel Craig's portrayal of James Bond throughout the series, even though Spectre, I heard, is eh. And I also like Carrie uh, Fugadaga a lot, uh, mainly from like, True Detective and Piece of Donation. So I really do like a lot of the direction, but, you know, Maybe not the, the best choice in the world for a James Bond movie. But again, I think it's a, a good send off to this whole like Daniel Craig saga of James Bond. And so in the end, I will give it 
seven out of ten martinis that should be stirred, not shaken. That is a thing. You're not supposed to shake them. You're supposed to stir them, god you damn know, it. That was ruinous. As someone who spent a lot of time in the bar industry and read a lot about it, it they were always stirred. And it wasn't till Bond that people started going, no, no, shake it. That's terrible. You bruise the vodka. You just end up with a watered down drink. It's really, that's why you stir it instead of shaking it. It's just. See, you know the booze. <laughs> you know booze. And didn't he drink Vespers in the books? He did. But in the movies, it was vodka martinis. Yeah, they swapped over. So with this one, it's kind of out of the five movies in the middle ground for me. So I really enjoyed Casino Royale. Quantum was kind of yeah. followed by Skyfall, which was really great. Followed by Spectre, which was kind of, again, eh. And this one was kind of in the middle. It's definitely not perfect. Just like its protagonist. Craig and this character go through a lot of growth and a lot of change throughout the five movies. With this one, it just felt a little murky for me. There was just too much crammed into it. It's like, it's got that, like, last movie of the series problem where they're like, oh, this is the last one that we get to make. So we're going to stuff as much stuff in here that we haven't been able to do into this amount of time. But I did definitely enjoy it. Um, I'm really big into action scenes, especially dealing with vehicles and practical stunts, which they do a lot of in Bond movies. So I was super, super happy with that. I really wish they would have used Malik more. But as said, you know, it was a really great movie, and I definitely think seeing it in the theater is going to be the way to go. It's too big a scale. Even action aside, where you get the really big wide shots of environments that he's in that would look so much better on a big screen versus not. So for this one, I'm kind of good with everybody else. It's a 7 out of 10 broken British sports cars. Oh, well, damn, I'm going to be the one guy. Okay. Let's do this. So the problem with this movie is that it's stuck between a rock and a hard place. The rock being it's got to be fun. It's got to have big action scenes and it's got to have lots of stuff that calls back to tropes from previous James Bond films. Not specifically plot elements, but, you know, stuff like the Aston Martin, what have you. And then the hard place is, oh, it's also got to be kind of sad. It's got to be dramatic. It's got to make you care about these characters. And shit, we got to wrap this up, people. Come on, let's wrap this up. And I think especially that last thing is where this movie gets into trouble. Because there's a number of characters that are beloved Bond characters that die in this film so ignominiously that I was like, seriously? (laughs) That's how you're going to kill that character? Okay. Or why did they have to die at all? I didn't get why they thought they had to do it. It's like, is this just an attempt to make big fans of Bond start crying through the film? Why? And it didn't work because it just doesn't come across as convincing. It's such a long movie. Most of it is very dry. I thought a lot of it was very boring. They're going over ground I've seen go over in many other Bond films, but in a better way. And in the end, I'm supposed to be feeling all the things, and I just felt nothing. All I can think of is, hey, at the end, it's like, you know, I enjoyed Daniel Craig overall in the series, but I wonder who's going to play the next Bond. (laughs) It just didn't punch me at all. There's moments that I really like in this quite a bit. There's actors that I really like their performances in this film. I think a lot of the cinematography is great and the locations, as always, that's as Drew said, that's a big part of the Bond film is the want to go there, want to do that, want to experience those cool exotic things. That's all here. But I don't know. At the end, it just felt like they never could get that balance right between the two things this film had to be at the same time. And I feel like maybe a better way to go would be like all the other Bond films go when their actor's turn is up. It's just the end of that particular movie and that's it. 
Sorry. And now we go on to the next actor. I, I would have been much happier with that instead of this need to make it feel so standalone-ish. But whatever. I know some people really love this. I know some people who really hated it. We all do because we talked to them outside the theater. We who did. made me laugh because they were like, oh, the British press is going to hate this. They're going to slam on it. They're going to call it the worst Bond movie ever. And guess what happened? The British press actually really liked this movie. So I laughed with schadenfreude for <laughs> the whole day. That's amazing. <laughs> it's like, you were so wrong. But for me, it was just, I, people kept asking me, how was it? I'm like, meh. And that's kind of it. It's meh. So I'm going to give this six out of 10 stairwells that poor Daniel Craig had to keep running up in this film. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Huffing Bonnie's and like just puffin'. doing every action scene is like in a stairwell. And he's, he's like, oh man, what the fuck? Well, that's probably what the action scenes they pitched him is like, oh, okay, all you got to do this time around is walk up a flight of stairs. Like, oh, well. Okay. All right. That's that's enough. Can I get a stunt double for that, please? 